Amen. Amen. Man, what an incredible time of worship. Can we give it up for our worship team? Man, that is such an awesome, awesome way to kick off. Uh, my name is Joseph. Uh, it is so good to be with you guys uh, this morning. And uh, man, I just, man, I'm rem- remembering back to uh, my days at University of Mobile. That is where your pastor and I met for the very first time. I was a freshman uh, coming in uh, to campus and getting my stuff moved in. And there's this, there's this, bar- someone barrels through my door and just knocks on the door and says, Hey, hey man, my name's Alan. I'm starting a Bible study. It meets upstairs. We, we're going to talk about biblical manhood because we can't have anybody being pansies anymore. So we got got to go and study the Bible, learn how to be men together. Are you in? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's good. And so we went and we studied through. I remember, I remember that Bible study, man. I'll never forget that time uh, together and just your pastor's infectious personality in a good way, not a COVID way, uh, but in a, in a good way. Sometimes we just got to laugh about this situation just to keep from crying, right? Uh, but in a, in a very good way, man, you just spread positivity. Positivity, And I said to myself, I'm going to start, I'm going to do a Bible study just like Alan did for me. I never did it, but I like the thought in my heart, I was inspired and passionate in that moment. And so, man, I'm just, just so grateful for you, brother, and, uh, and everything that you poured into us. Uh, for everybody joining in online, so grateful that you are here. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here. I want to let you in on a little bit of our story as we are navigating through the process and the calling to walk into uh, Las Vegas, Nevada to plant a new church. And so, uh, man, Alan, if, if you could slide my phone up here, I'm, I'm having a little trouble connecting to the internet. That'd be, that'd be great. For some reason, a little technology lost my notes. But as, as, I'm, as I'm looking these up, I want to show you the best part about my, uh, the best part about me is not me, it's the other 75% of me, my family. Uh, and this is, this is a picture of my family, my beautiful wife, Kristen, uh, there on, on the far left. I actually met her. She was in Allen's Ram Fam. Uh, and so if you don't know what a Ram Fam is, the University of Mobile Rams, uh, the Ram Fam is, uh, is basically like, uh, it's like Rush Week. For it's like church camp rush week uh, at Bible college. So uh, we had a lot of fun in our Ram fams, and Kristen and I started dating uh, right off the bat. And for some reason, she stayed with me, um, and we get to walk into this journey together. My son, Cannon, uh, who I'm holding in that picture, is four years old. Uh, and he is the life of the party. In fact, he had two four-year-old birthday parties, one Star Wars birthday party and one Rescue Bots birthday party. Uh, and so, man, he, he's living the life for sure. Uh, don't let him tell you otherwise. And Riley Joe is running the show. That's my little girl, and she's about to turn two years old. So blessed to have a little girl. Uh, man, she, she is the life of the party, and I can't wait to watch her grow up. Uh, and so that, that's my family. And when I tell people that we are planting a church in Las Vegas, uh, the, the first response a lot of times is, why? Why are you going to Las Vegas? What in the world is in Las Vegas? And a partner friend of ours who is, uh, heads up a network that we are joining in on uh, in Las Vegas, he sat me down and he told me two things. He actually came, he, he grew up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. His name's Vance Pittman. And he said, look, you need to know two things about Southern Baptist in Las Vegas. 
Number one, Southern Baptists never go to Las Vegas, and if they do, they certainly don't tell anybody. (laughs) Number two is they don't believe that it is hell, but they do believe you can smell it from there. Uh, And so he's just kind of giving me a fair warning of what it was going to be like to walk into this journey, uh, because for some reason there's this picture that I'm taking my children to raise them in a casino uh, and teach them the ways of the slot machines. Uh, I think that's illegal, but anyways, there's this picture of of Las Vegas that everyone has, and it really, that picture is the 4.2 miles that is known as the Strip. And what, I, what I've come to understand is that the people that I've interacted with that have been to Las Vegas, they, they typically say two things in church. Uh, they say, hey, I've, I have gone to the city of Las Vegas, and they feel this instant, this instant like need to explain why. It's like, I went, it was a work thing, and I hated it, okay? I hated it, I hated it. I'm just like, it's okay, like, you don't have to, like, get all, like, you, you don't have to get that defensive about your hate for uh, the city. But what I know that the heart is, what they're trying to say is that they saw some things that were broken in the city and their heart just was opposed to those, that brokenness. But we experience the city in a little bit different way. We actually experience the city, you know, a lot of times you have to get to know someone from the inside out. And we got to know Las Vegas from the outside in. We, uh, we initially, when we touched down in the city for the very first time, we were there to lead a weekend event for teenagers. You guys would know that event is like a Disciple Now type weekend. So several church plants came together and we had the opportunity to preach and lead a, bring a band and small group leaders. There were 16 of us that went and put on this event. And as we did that, we interacted with not, we didn't just spend time on the strip. We interacted with the people of Las Vegas. And there were a lot of stats that broke our hearts, but it was the stories that connected us to the city. And so when I say that we experienced the city from the outside in, I believe that we really got to see the city from the inside out. The heartbeat of the people who live in Las Vegas are people who care about other people are people who want to see the best for their children. There are people who want to raise their children right. There are people who are, want their schools to be better, who want their community to be better. They hang out in parks and they, they, they go to malls just like you and I do. And so as we interacted with the city, the, our brokenness from the city came from us meeting the people who fueled and who worked and kept Las Vegas alive. And so then when I went to the strip, strip, we had different eyes. We had different eyes to see that the lifeblood of this beautiful city is people who are made in the image of God and people who desperately need to know their creator. And there's a verse that was really just pressed into our heart very deeply in the church planting process early on. And that was Luke 10 verse 2. It says this, It says, he told them that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And we felt like that God was moving us to a place that represented the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And when we arrived in Las Vegas, that's what we found. It's that there are, there are huge pockets of their community that have thousands and thousands of people and no evangelical church. And for someone who is convinced that the church is God's plan to reach the world, that our church is us as the church, we are God's plan to reach the world, that was not okay. There was an immense amount of lostness in the city. And so we identified that this city needs more workers. But there was also 
also this strong undercurrent that there were people already in the city that were praying that, we, that more workers would be sent. They were praying that more people would be sent into the great harvest field of lost Vegas. And so the second time that we, that we arrived in Las Vegas, we went to go scout out some different neighborhoods to see where we, where we might want to plant. The city is growing. There are a lot of, a lot of areas where the, just the population is booming. So we, we, went, we scheduled a trip to go look and see where are we going to target our and plant our lives before we plant this church. And so uh, like most church planters, we were balling on a budget. Okay, and so we also are a young family, so we are always in a time crunch, okay? And so my wife and I, we need to get to Las Vegas, we need to get there fast, and we need to get there cheap. And so we're looking for direct flights, we're looking for cheap flights, so that led us to a Spirit Airlines flight that left out of the city of New Orleans. And so we live in, in Mobile uh, currently right now before we relocate. But so we're New Orleans, Spirit Airlines. We see this flight, super cheap. And we're like, well, there's probably a reason why it's cheap, right? And so, uh, and if you don't know anything about Spirit Airlines, they're essentially the cheese wagon of the airline industry, okay? It's literally a huge yellow plane that's just like, you can't miss it. You're like, oh, that one looks cheap. Like, uh, and so uh, we, I asked my buddy who works at a company called Airbus. They actually build the airplanes. And I'm like, Josh, tell me something. Is this plane safe? Like, is it cool? Like, why is it so cheap? I'm just curious to know because I need, we need to get there. We need to get there cheap. But well, why is this flight so cheap? He's like, man, it's the same plane. It's the outside same. It's made the same. They buy it from us. The inside is just a lot different, okay? It's just not as comfortable. You're just going to notice the inside's not as nice. And I'm like, okay, well, we can deal with that. We can, we can play through the pain a little bit. And so we get to the airport. We get, loaded, we're, we, we get loaded onto the airplane, and I'm noticing, okay, this is not, like, super bougie. Uh, I'm not, like, totally loving it, but we're going to get there. Uh, and so and then the guy, we're in New Orleans. It's the start of Mardi Gras. He says... Who dat? Happy Mardi Gras. Welcome to Spirit Airlines where we boast the most uncomfortable seats in the industry. And I'm like, well, at least they own it, right? Because when, as soon as I sat down on that seat, it's like a cookie sheet wrapped in saran wrap. Like that's how uncomfortable these seats are. And it's just like, you look at all the pieces of the airplane. We start pulling up to the, to the runway. Everything starts shaking. Like normally takeoffs are loud, but this was ridiculous. This was like they opened up a big can of quarters and threw it into a dryer and turned it on. I mean, it just stuff starts shaking. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I thought God was sending us to plant a church. He was really sending us to die in an airplane like we're going to where we take off everything's shaking i look out one window i'm like josh told me it's the same plane josh told me it's the same plane i know the guy who made the plane i know the guy who made the plane i look out the right window i'm like there's one wing look out the left there's two okay we're good there's two wings on this airplane josh made the wings we're good we're gonna make it to las vegas i'm just telling myself that as we take off in the air the reason why i tell you that ridiculous story is to let you know how men how insane i am uh but secondly, the reason why I tell you that story is that most of us don't feel like we are walking through life or flying through life first class on Southwest or Delta. Most of us, when we embrace God's call for our life, it feels a lot like riding coach on Spirit Airlines. Everything is much less comfortable than we would like it to be. Everything seems a little bit more unstable. Everything just doesn't 
feel like we want it to feel. It scares us. It makes us uneasy. It's different. And as we look, and my prayer for you is that as I share my calling story with you this morning, that you would be able to dive deeply into your heart and see what is God calling me to do that might not be comfortable. Because at the end of the day, we know the one who made the plan. At the end of the day, what my only source of hope, my only source of peace, was that I knew and trusted the guy who worked on the line that made this plan. And I'm like, if I know him, I can be okay. Because I know this plane's going to get me there. It may not be comfortable. It may not always be safe, but it's going to be secure. It's going to get us exactly where God wants us to go. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of uncomfortableness in our heart this morning. But in a good way. In a great way, in a way that's going to say, you know what, if God is the artist and the potter, and I am the canvas and the clay, I cannot wait to see what he makes. I cannot wait to see the story that he paints in my life. We wanted to pray that God was going to be all over this journey as we started. And so we just started praying this word. We started praying favor. God, just give us, grant us favor. Uh, We want favor with you. We want favor with the people of Las Vegas. We just need your hand of blessing to be on us. And before you think that's all about prosperity or or financial resources or all that, we just, we simply wanted God's will to be done in our life. We didn't want to miss out on what God had for our life. So as we are praying through this word favor, God began to just walk us through what that meant in the Bible. There was a guy named Noah who experienced God's favor on his life. He got an incredibly difficult countercultural assignment to build this ginormous ark. And then he experienced all of this hardship after, but he was, he was used mightily by God. His life wasn't easy, but it mattered. There's a guy in the Old Testament, his name was Joseph. Joseph literally got sold into slavery by his brothers. He got thrown into prison by his boss, but God used him in a major way. Why? Because the scripture said he had favor with God. Mary, right? Teenage girl engaged, has God's favor in her life. She found favor in God's sight. And so what does she get? She gets an assignment that makes her the talk of the town. She has to walk through ridicule. She has to walk through uh, people looking down on her because God's favor was on her. So God's favor doesn't always mean that we're going to get to walk in comfortability, but it always means that our life will matter. And so as we, and then there's also Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with men. Jesus, he grew in that favor, and then he gets an assignment to go to the cross, to suffer for our sins. And so understand our heart this morning when we pray for God's hand on our life. It won't always be easy, and it won't always be easy in your life, but it will always be good. It will always be what's best. It will always be what God would have for your life. I've heard it said this way, when you pray for favor, God always responds with an opportunity. When you pray for favor, God always responds an opportunity. And as we walk into the pages of Scripture, we're going to be in Jeremiah 29 this morning. As you walk into the pages of Scripture, we're going to see a pattern. 
that happens throughout the Israelite, uh, throughout the history of God's people. They were stuck in this cycle. They were stuck in this history repeating itself cycle. And here's kind of how it would go. Israel would disobey God. Then Israel would be oppressed, mostly by another, by another nation, a lot of times put into captivity. Then Israel would cry out. Then God would raise up a deliverer. This is where you see the book of Judges, and you see people like Samson and Deborah and great leaders like Gideon, where you see them rise up and deliver God's people. Israel would be delivered, then Israel would be at peace. And then the cycle would repeat itself. They would sin, they would be oppressed, God would raise up a deliverer, they would live in peace. Well, we see a break in the cycle this morning in the book of Jeremiah. You see, Israel was found in sin. They were oppressed by an empire called the Babylonian Empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story of Daniel. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. That's his reign on the Israelite people. And so they have been dispersed all throughout the Israelite, uh, all throughout the Babylonian Empire. What that means is where the place that they always called home, that they pictured raising their grandkids, that they pictured living their life, that they pictured planting their life and growing up and doing school and all the things that life involves was no longer the case. They had been thrown all over the Babylonian empire. So they're desperate for God to move. They're desperate for God to move them out of their circumstance. And here's what happens. God breaks the pattern. Jeremiah 29, he says this, Jeremiah 29 verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And you got to think that the people of God are at this point, they're like, what in the world are you thinking? Like, this is a terrible plan. Like, just raise up a deliverer, raise up a judge, whatever, and get us out of this situation. Like, get us, move us the way that you've done before. And God's like, I have a new plan. I have a new strategy. I'm doing a new thing and a new work. Here's the thing. If we sit here this morning and try to explain God's actions, we will leave frustrated, we will leave depressed, we will leave with no hope. But if we try to understand God's heart, then I think we'll get the fuel that we need to be able to step into the calling that we're so afraid of. We'll get the fuel that we need to be able to commit in ways that we never could have committed before. You'll get the fuel that you need to commit in, 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 with your time, your resources, your, the way that you engage this city. You'll get the fuel that you need to do the hard things when you understand God's heart. Because understanding God's heart is always more important than, than explaining his actions. Understanding God's heart is always more important than explaining his actions. So there's three things that I believe that we can understand about God's heart through this passage. And first of all, we serve a God whose heart is about sending. We serve a God who sends. 
Not S-I-N-S, S-E-N-D-S. We serve a God who is always sending. He sent people, he sent a launch team to Elkmont to plant this church. That's why this is here, because he sent Pastor Allen and the team. And you guys, he sent you here to plant the church for this community. Why? Because the church is God's plan to reach the world. He's sending some of your best back to Maine to operate in a different way so that, that, that his best could be made, made known in every individual's life. This morning, he's sending you somewhere. And I would, I would say this. Sometimes that's a physical leaving. Sometimes that's like our story. We're going from Mobile, Alabama to Las Vegas, Nevada. Sometimes it's He's sending me into membership. Sometimes that's, he's sending me to serve on a host team. Sometimes he's sending me to a new job that I don't want to take, but I know God wants to position me there. He's sending me to a different school that I want to go to. But he's sending you somewhere on purpose for the kingdom. In the city, for the city, right? In the city and for the city. I saw that on one of your slides. We serve, secondly, we serve the God of multiplication. We serve a God who sends, who is faithful to send out workers into the harvest field. We also serve a God who is about multiplication. He gives them this word that I felt like prophetically God just gives to our church today that he says, multiply there, don't decrease. Because isn't it, isn't it true that the Israelite people are in captivity? They're in a foreign land. They're with people they don't like. They don't even want to hang out with these people. And he's saying, I don't only just want you to tolerate it. I want you to invest in it. So I want you to build a home, and I want you to live in it. I want you to plant a garden. I want you to eat from it. I want you to, mar- I want you to give your sons and your daughters to marriage. I want you to plant your life here. I want you to plant your life and engage the people around you. That was his plans for the Israelites. And they got to be thinking, I don't want to do that. Because so many times when we're in an uncomfortable setting, what do we do? We sit on our hands and we wait it out. Right? We don't want to move. We want to sit. We want to wait. And what we're doing is we're decreasing. We're settling for less than God's best in your life. And I am just terrified of being someone who settles. And I hope this morning that you just have this holy discontent in your heart. Not anxiety, but I hope you have this holy unrestlessness in your heart. It's saying you were made for more. You were made to matter for more. There are people God's sending you to tomorrow that he needs you to be faithful. He needs you to plant your life. And so we just felt like God just just prophetically through this passage told us that you're going to plant your life before you ever plant this church. You're going to plant your life in Las Vegas before you plant this church. And I would say to you this morning that you need to continue to plant your life where God has placed you because he sent you there on purpose. Notice there's two times in this passage that he says that God sent the Israelite people into Babylon. And they're thinking, no, we were forced into Babylon by the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And all along, as God's plan is unfolding, they think they were forced, they were actually sent. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was destroying God's people by separating them. God said, I'm sending my people to multiply them. I'm sending my people to show my glory to the world. 
Because we were never made to exist in a holy huddle. We were never made to exist only for each other. You were saved to be sent, always. So we serve a God who sends. We serve a God who is always about multiplication. And we serve a God who makes things better. I tried to like really judge that up and like make it rhyme or something. And I was just like, he just makes stuff better, right? It's just like, just very simply, he makes things better. And that's what he's given his people the word to do in this. He says, seek the welfare of the city. Why? In its, your, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. A lot of times we get generosity backwards in our minds. And I don't mean just, just giving. That's a part of generosity. But we get generosity with our lives backwards. We say, well, when I get to a different season and I have more bandwidth, then I'll give my time to serve. When I get to a different place in my career, then I'll have more resources to invest. When I get to a different like, sense of my community, then I will join a church. And what God is just is pressing into his people right here is that when you seek the welfare of the city to which you have been called first, that is the place where you will discover your greatest purpose. That is the place where you will flourish, where you will multiply, where you will increase and not decrease. And so if you're just waiting for God to line everything up and then send you, you're going to be waiting forever. And you're going to miss what matters. But if you embrace the uncomfortable flight on Spirit Airlines, if I may, if you embrace the uncomfortable journey of saying yes when you don't know how, if you embrace the uncomfortable journey of saying yes when you don't even know when, then you're going to start to see God unfold and provide for you and minister to you in ways you never even knew Existed A little bit for, about the city of Las Vegas as we enter and seek to serve the city of Las Vegas. I want you to know a little bit about the city. 92% of the 2.2 million people that live in Las Vegas are lost. They don't know Jesus. They're not engaged in a local church. That's almost 2 million people who do not know Jesus. And so we feel like we are sent to be part of the workers in that harvest. And that it, in Las Vegas is our nation's capital for teenage homelessness. That there are more homeless teenagers in Las Vegas than anywhere else in our nation. And that breaks our heart. We've spent the last 12 years serving in student ministry and it absolutely tore our heart to pieces because it wasn't just the stat, it was the stories that we listened to. It was the teenagers that we met. And so, as we, as we look at our city, it's our nation's capital for teenage homelessness. In this season of COVID-19, over 25% of the city has, has filed for unemployment. That's because over 33% of the economy, multi-billion dollar economy, is driven by the tourism and gaming industry. And that was shut completely down. It wasn't diversified. So the city's hurting. There are people hurting. And you're like, oh, man... Maybe they shouldn't have been working in the casino or not. It's like, that's not seeking the welfare of the city. We want to love these people back into their places of employment and help them bless their places of employment, help them make it better. They're hurting right now. 60% are classified as nuns, not like N-U-N-S. Nuns is an N-O-N-E-S, which means that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. What that means is there's a wide open palette for the gospel. 
that people are wide open to things of a spiritual nature, and we want to introduce them to the gospel. See, we don't want to infuse a culture of Southern Christianity. We want to embrace the Western culture, love the city well, and infuse the gospel. The beauty of the city, the opportunity in the city, it's the sixth fastest growing city in our nation. People are flooding to Las Vegas from other cities in the West and all around the world. UNLV, uh, the major university in the city, is the most ethnically diverse city in our nation. People, the world comes through Las Vegas. I understand now more than ever why Paul was so eager to go to Rome. Why? Because all roads led to Rome and all roads led from Rome. Right now in our, in our day, all, all roads, one way or another, one season or another, lead to and from Las Vegas. 59 and 49 annual visitors every year, and it's a vibrant entrepreneurial enterprise. There is so many positives and beautiful things about the city. And we can't wait to see, because I, I truly do believe with all of my heart that God uses the local church to bless a city. I love what you guys are doing to bless El- Elkmont. I love how, the, how you guys partner with local schools. I think that's exactly how it should operate. I think the, church, the city should look at the church and say, thank God that they're here and say they're a blessing and not a burden. Thank you. You're changing that narrative in Elkmont and you're going to help us change that narrative in Las Vegas that they'll look at a church like Favor City and say they're a blessing, not a burden. That's our goal. Because he says, this is what uh, Jeremiah says, on the heels of you got to stay where you don't want to stay, you got to do what you don't want to do, I want you to live there, plant there, grow there, all of those things. And this is the, is the verse that's crocheted on your grandmother's pillow, okay? Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. And sometimes in embracing the uncomfortable, we forget that God is good. We forget that he is never going to guide where he doesn't intend to provide. We forget that he's not going to lead us into a situation that he can't walk us through. That he is good and he is faithful and he has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And we're so terrified in our nation today to be protected by extenuating circumstances and government and things that are just like, they rise and fall throughout history. But you know who never changes, who never moves, who is always constant, who is always steady, who has everything figured out, is Jesus. All throughout time, he's moved. He will move. He's going to continue to move. He will always move in the hearts of his people. And I don't want to miss out on the wonderful work that he is going to do in and through my life because he's made me in his image. I don't want you to miss out on the wonderful work that he's going to do in and through your life because he has made you in his image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So as I look at the people in Las Vegas and as you interact with the people in Elkmont, I would encourage you to think, about those people and ask yourself and remind yourself every day that I will never meet a person who was not made in the image of God. I will never interact with a person, no matter how far away their story is from God's story at this moment, that was not made in the image of God. So we've just been dreaming and wondering 
And we understand that there's an element of this, that how God is going to move is going to be ways that we will never be able to predict. But we're like, what if if a bouncer becomes a greeter? You know, what what happens when a blackjack dealer becomes a small group leader? What happens when a dancer becomes a worship leader? God moves and he gets glory when his people are faithful to plant their lives and seek the welfare of a city. And in its welfare... We'll find our welfare. We'll land our application in Proverbs chapter 3. In this season, I've just been just chewing up the Proverbs as much as I possibly can. And this verse has just continued to shape our strategy, has continued to shape our hearts. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. It says, Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of both God and man. Love and faithfulness. You want favor in your life? You want God's favor on your story? Write love and faithfulness on your heart. Bind them around your neck and let them never leave you. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. We thank you for always being loving to us. We thank you for always being generous to us and kind to us. And we just ask that you would give us the courage to be faithful. You would give us the awareness to be loving. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if today you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time. You're online saying, I need, I need that in my life. I don't want to miss out on God's best. Fill out that connect card. Connect with us. But before you do that, you just have all you have to do. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Confess him as Lord today. There are pastors and leaders around the room right now in this moment as we get ready to celebrate new life that if you're here in this room and you say I need to give my heart and life to Jesus for the very first time this morning find one of us we'd love to pray with you we'd love to walk you into this new relationship that will be found in Jesus Father we love you so much We thank you for the great privilege it is to follow you. And we just ask more than anything that you would bless our hearts, you would bless our lives in the journey, and you would get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.